The ATP finals this year are going to be awesome. I'm so excited to see Matteo and Stefanos go at it. Who? Uh, Matteo Berrettini and Stefanos Tsitsipas? It breaks my heart to say this, but they're old news and Nori and Sinner are in. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Ravia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Travi and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So, we're back with another episode, and as you can see by the title, we do have something pretty lengthy and difficult to discuss in this episode, especially in the hot headlines. But other than that, we're also going to recap the WTA finals and also check in on the ATP finals. So definitely also wrap up of the season going on. But like I said, we're going to be discussing the case of Peng Shui, the former doubles world number one tennis player who went missing after she accused a former Chinese Communist Party leader, the retired Vice Premier Zhang Gaoli, of sexually assaulting her three years ago in a 1,600-word post to a Chinese social media site called Weibo. And we did talk about this in our last episode, but of course we have to update you on what has been going on since then. Yeah, so definitely look to our last episode or online to get some more background knowledge about the post itself and like her accusations and sort of the immediate impact. The post was deleted 30 minutes later after it was initially uh, put on the website and um, the Chinese fire, like the, so the internet firewall in China censored her name and even tried censoring words like tennis to try to prevent this post and screenshots of it from spreading. And the scariest part of this is that Peng Shui hasn't been, been hasn't been seen since that post. Um, so this started off as a story kind of just um, within the tennis world. And then over the past week, it has gained so much attention, uh, rightfully so. CNN did a segment on it. Um, we're going to talk about this later, but athletes and, you know, tennis players have started speaking out and rightfully so, as I said, because it is a really scary thing and requires people to be speaking out about it. So luckily the WTA has also spoken out about this. So Steve Simon, the WTA chairman and CEO released a statement on the 14th saying, as an organization dedicated to women, we remain committed to the principles we were founded on, equality, opportunity, and respect. Peng Shui and all women deserve to be heard, not censored. Her accusation and about the, about the conduct of a former Chinese leader involving a sexual assault must be treated with the utmost seriousness. And he also added to that, we commend Peng Shui for her remarkable courage and strength in coming forward. Women around the world are finding their voices so injustices can be corrected. We expect this issue to be handled properly, meaning the allegations must be investigated fully, fairly, transparently, and without censorship. So, I I mean, we do really appreciate the fact that the WTA spoke out so quickly on this, and it was like immediate action because actually 
not not only did Steve Simon make a statement, he also said that he has threatened to pull WTA's business from China if the country fails to give a fair and proper investigation into Peng's disappearance. So he's willing to take action in order to protect the well-being and health and safety of his players, like all the players part of the WTA, and we think that was the right move on his part. Also, this is a big deal. The WTA, well, the tennis world in general, but the WTA has so much business in China, obviously. This year, it was a bit altered because most of the time in a normal, non-pandemic circumstance, a lot of the indoor season takes place in China. Um, The WTA finals take place in Shenzhen. So, you know, the move to Guadalajara is just temporary. So there is a lot of stock in that country for women's tennis. So that is a huge move from Steve Simon to say that and um, something that people were wondering because it's going to have financial impact, but that's that hopefully they'll follow their word on that if, um, you know, it comes to that situation where China doesn't pursue a fair investigation because in that case, those types of, um, you know, economic incentives are necessary. But Other players, as we were saying, have spoken out about this. Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams, um, a bunch of actually some ATP coaches as well, like Danny Valverde tweeted something. Um, Pretty much, I know Nicholas Mahout tweeted something. Like A lot of people have, which is amazing. So we're going to read you a couple of the notable ones. Uh, Osaka said, censorship is never okay at any cost. I hope Peng Shui and her family are safe and okay. I'm in shock of the current situation and I'm sending love and light her way. Hashtag where is Peng Shui? So a lot of this outpour, we're going to tell you a little bit more about what some other players said, but a lot of this outpour was, yes, started after the initial story broke out, but in the past few days, as we were saying before, it's picked up because... Um, The coverage of it has picked up because um, yesterday, on the 17th, a very strange email was sent out by, allegedly, by Peng Shui, but um, it it was tweeted by a Chinese state-affiliated media, so people are kind of doubting its legitimacy, especially because of its content, because it says... The news in that release, including the allegation of sexual assault, is not true. I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe. I've just been resting at home and everything is fine. Which is really dubious. so strange. Just, yeah. Because I don't, first of all, like, you don't even have to, I don't even have to explain. Because you just hear by the tone of the statement how this might be seen as, like, illegitimate or, like, staged. Because either she was forced to write this or she did not write this, which is probably the most likely case. But either way, it is definitely an extremely bizarre statement because why why would she go back on what she spent, like what she risked so much to say, first of all. And second of all, after all this has conspired, because she um, posted that... Um, kind of essay on November 2nd and she hasn't been heard from since then and she's been just quote resting at home it's not it just doesn't sound right but um yeah yeah like also uh, considering China's history if like this is certainly doesn't seem like something that is worth trusting yeah just because of like the history of the me too movement there in the first place yeah like so there's a really concerning there's a huge organization called feminist voices um and 
like it's based in communist China, but the fact is that they've been censored so much. So a leader of that organization spoke out about it, saying like this is not unusual, but mm-hmm. like the fact that it's happening is still not okay. So yeah, it's gained traction everywhere, and like we were saying, especially in the tennis world, Novak Djokovic, the world number one, you might have heard of him, spoke on it. Um, he said, "There's not much more to say than to hope that she's okay, and it's just terrible. I can imagine how her family feels. You know that she's missing." So, yeah, definitely a lot of sem- sentiments coming from the tennis world as well. Yeah, Chris Everett said, yes, these accusations are very disturbing. I've known Peng since she was 14. We should all be concerned this is serious. Where is she? Is she safe? Any information would be appreciated. Elise Cornet, she was actually one of the first people to speak out and said, let's not remain silent. And she tagged the WTA in that tweet um, before the WTA had made any statement. And then Liam Brody um, said, I cannot believe this has happened in the 21st century. I think another thing to put this in perspective is that Peng Shua in China, she's a huge star she reached the u.s open semifinals in 2014 um she was a hugely successful doubles player so this is a big deal she's a big celebrity celebrity there and she came out with accusations against an even higher member a person like of power and hierarchy so this is a very high profile situation um and you know it you you got to think like if someone if this can happen to someone this a woman this high profile in china imagine how many other situations are there are that we just haven't heard of mm-hmm. uh so like you were saying it is a high profile situation and not had it's gained global traction not only from the tennis world but from just mainstream media in general which honestly um today was the first day that i kind of started to see all of the articles being released by like everyday everyday news organizations like new york post cnn uh cbs all of these different um news organizations and i was honestly surprised and i was i mean it's not good that i was surprised but either way the fact that people are actually reporting on this and it's actually spreading that was shocking to me and i am so glad that it is happening i mean even u.s congressman jim banks wrote a letter to president joe biden and the secretary of state antony blinken he said since your administration has been engaging in intense high-level dialogues with chinese officials i would like to urge you to raise to your chinese counterparts in such interactions the issue of peng shui's safety and whereabouts and demand chinese authorities to lift censorship and repost peng shui's social media message that has been taken down so it's definitely some there's definitely some weighty words right there because i mean now we're getting into the politics of it and the fact that it's touched and reached so many different people that is amazing to me yeah and speaking of which the hashtag wears peng shui as well as like a image of her and the hashtag over it has gained a lot of traction on social media um serena williams posted that um a lot of other tennis players posted that as well so we posted it yeah we posted it it's important because like this is such a high profile case but you just gotta think like she's really in a helpless situation so the wta speaking it was a huge step all these tennis players speaking it was a huge step global media coverage huge step you know reaching um the political 
the political echelons of power like that's a big that's a big step so we'll see how it evolves but this is definitely a story that's more than about tennis for sure Mm -hmm. all right so we're gonna keep you posted on that that's a very heavy um news development we really do hope that she is safe um but there's honestly not much that we can know at this point because it is all kept so under wraps so we're gonna talk about a slightly different hot headline switching gears a little bit here um about roger federer so based on some statements over the past week from his team and from himself the question is we gotta address it is roger federer approaching retirement yeah so i mean if you remember he has been like especially his knees have been on the breakdown in the past few years i mean after wimbledon just this year roger had his third knee surgery within the past 18 months which is insane and he played so well too and we were just so sad to see him go i mean he made the quarterfinals and he was barely trying like that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> so on november 15th ivan uh Federer's coach spoke about the chances of Federer playing the Australian Open. He said, I think there are very few chances he is still recovering and knowing him, he wants to be sure he can play to win the tournament and be at 100%. Think the Australian Open is not a real possibility right now, but he will go step by step because he is 40 years old now and needs to be patient. He cannot recover as quickly as he used to. Yeah, and then just yesterday, Federer said, the truth is that I'd be incredibly surprised to play Wimbledon, and that's no surprise. We knew before the operation that this type of, this type would require a month, I think this type of injury would require a month's long break. So, this is, I mean, he's not getting any younger, so the more he puts off, the more time he puts off on this, like, I think it's mm, sort of coming to terms with the fact that yeah, his... It's coming His tennis, to an end. pro tennis, yeah, which is yeah. fine. We'll deal with it when it comes up. But yeah. it's honestly been it's been like a snowball effect. Like I think we, or I don't know if that's the right term, but like we've been expecting this for a while. So it's not a huge surprise, but like we've been expecting also, it since he turned thirty. <laughs> no kidding. We're also like we're we're not really like well we've kind of accepted it, but like also why well, get super sad when it's not official yet? Yeah. So we're just gonna respectfully ignore it i think i think ignore it but also like i feel like we voiced our sadness yeah why don't other moments enough already we could just like why don't we appreciate his like the fact that he's gonna be such a cute tennis dad (laughs) like once he retires he's gonna be looking snazzy in the stands like that stuff to uh look forward to i think it's true and it'll be easier to interact with him as fans and um also you know we can it'll do... be easier to get him on the podcast oh that's good retired former world number one <laughs> roger federer is our guest this evening um yeah but yeah either way how about if we're talking about this let's just pour our energy into andy murray andy murray that's where the energy is exactly. going that that man is maybe he should he like is... maybe federer should get a metal knee Maybe he already had, yeah, maybe he yeah, should yeah. invest in some more Titanium. Metal. I think that, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So Guadalajara was lovely. We were so hyped about it. It's unfortunate that our recording timeline didn't allow us to do another mid Guadalajara episode, but um, we we were. I feel like we had a lot of ex- our excitement was pretty present in our last episode. So, yes. and we were actually very happy with the result. Very happy. With so happy. Like ecstatic. Um, and in the final, Garbinia Muguruza defeated Annette Contivate 6-3-7-5 to get her 10th WTA singles title and her third title this year. This is her first WTA finals trophy, and she is the first Spaniard woman to win the event. And she's going to be rising to world number three. So Muguruza, I mean, she deserves this so much. She's such a tough player. We talk about her a lot. We're big fans. Um, she's been, she's had her ups and downs, I think, ever since she kind of launched onto the tour with her Grand Slam success. But, you know, even though she didn't win a Grand Slam this year, she actually said this herself, even though that didn't happen, this was my best year, which I think is so, like, it, it's great to see, like, how, like, a player saying that because, especially someone so sweet as her, to see, like, acknowledging the fact that, first of all, like, a Grand Slam doesn't mean anything. You could win a Grand Slam and then, like, play crap the rest of your year. I think Mm -hmm. she's someone who models consistency. Um, So I think that to hear her say that was great because it offers, like, a different perspective that, like, you know, this, this, this tournament is important. And, like, the tennis that she played consistently throughout this year is also important. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty funny because when I was reading about this, I saw on the WTA website that they called her um, tennis this past few years, quote, underwhelming. I was like, damn, you didn't have to come for her like that. Like, we know she's been struggling, but she brought it back this year. And she said it herself. She said, "Um, I'm just very happy. I proved to myself once again, I could be the best. I can be the maestra, like how we say in Spanish. That puts me in a very good position for next year, a good ranking. It's just the payoff for such a long year. My team and I worked hard. It pays off. Just shows us that we're doing the right way. So, so happy to see her succeeding like this. And she's right. She does, She is in a very good position for next year. And we look forward to what damage she's going to cause at the Australian Open. I think that's going to be very interesting. She, yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. It's hard courts again. She had that epic match versus Osaka this year. And I think if she had won that match, she would have been a huge contender for that title. Um, so I'm also looking forward to that. But this win, although a straight sets win, she also beat the same woman in the round robin. And this woman is someone who's been on fire for the last couple of months. So even more impressive for Muguruza to pull this off. Annette Contivate was on a 12-match winning streak when Mugu broke it in the round robin, as I just said, 6-4, 6-4. And that makes Garbina the only player to defeat Contivate in the past month. So, let's talk about Annette Contivate, someone who Josephina and I, over the past couple months... Actually, no, it was honestly, like, we we liked her a lot before she even kind of started going, like, crazy during the indoor season and playing so well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, like, getting now that we've seen her more and more and getting a sense of her game and personality, we love her even more. So she's the first Estonian to qualify for the year-end tournament. And ironically enough, she was the last player to qualify for the event. We kind of talked about her mad dash to um, get those 
four titles, three titles, four, four titles at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, she did have to fight through some really good wins to get through to um, the semifinals and then eventually to the finals, which we're just going to, we're going to talk about the semis in just a little bit. But one of the things that I've heard tennis commentators mentioned in every single Annette Contivate match is about her coaching change. So she moved from the top 30 to the top 10 in just the past few months. And obviously it's all her effort, but a key coaching change was made right before this success hit. Yeah, so she actually changed coaches as of August 16th, I believe, and it was right before she started going on that crazy mad dash for basically making it to the ATP finals, and her change of coaches was from, actually I forgot the name, but it was to Dmitry Torsinov, and he was actually a former um, tennis player as well, so he has the experience to help coach her, and I think I read that she was her goal when she hired Dimitri was to not get to a 10-match losing streak because I believe she had six in a row lost. And then, I mean, just to see how the tables turn after that is incredible to me. And Chris Everett said on Dimitri, I think Annette was really happy to be steady, to outsteady her opponents. Now she has taken on an aggressive approach, and there's nobody better than him to guide her because he had that game to show it it can work for her. So it's amazing to see that she's making the new coaching work for her. And, I mean, they're just an amazing team, and you could just see by Annette's results. But, of course, as any good coach would, he did deny all credit to her success. He said it was all her, and, I mean, as he should, because Annette has just been absolutely phenomenal this year, and we cannot wait to see more of her next year. I would love to see her as a steady force in the top 10 and even moving her way up because she's so fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's talk about the semifinals, though, because these two ladies didn't just get here all of a sudden. Um, In the semis, Annette Contivate defeated Maria Sakari 6-1-3-6-6-3, making her with a perfect 7-0 record in semifinals this year. But Maria Sakari, I mean, she's someone who... When I was doing my predictions, I was like, I'm like, for who's going to win? My money was on either Contivate or Sakari, um, because Maria really brings it against these bigger opponents. She's had success in very high levels uh, tournaments, getting to the semifinals of Miami, the French Open, US Open, and now the WTA finals. Hopefully next year she can maybe even go a bit further and grab a title or two or three or however many she wants. She also got to the Ostrava final, so... I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Maria Sakri. This is someone who has also made a really steady rise over the year from hard quarantine to now. A lot of these girls were in hard quarantine, actually. Paula Bedosa, Maria Sakri. So that, those hotel rooms must have done something to them. But um, amazing. And I also think like it's so cool that we're seeing like Contivate, Sakari, Shuyatek, like a lot of people a lot of WTA players representing their countries for the first time in the top 10 on Mm -hmm. Sabor so I think this is really we were talking about this at the end of the U.S. Open at the with the Raducanu Fernandez final like it's amazing to see 
how tennis, especially women's tennis, is really showcasing. Yeah, Yeah, diversified both ethnically, racially, um, geographically, nationality-wise. So really awesome. I mean, honestly, if we're going to talk about Anjibor, she's a different breed because she's representing the whole Middle East, honestly, because every time I see a new record from her, it's she's making it for the entire Middle East, not just Tunisia, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so then we have our other semifinal where Garbini Muguruza defeated Paula Bedosa 6-3-6-3. So that was their first meeting, and th- like you may have known, they are both Spaniards. So it would have been either one of them into the final, and I believe, no, there has been a Spanish, a female Spanish, a, fe- a Spanish WTA finalist before um, that made it to the finals of that. But either way, Muguruza was the first to actually take it. But um, a funny thing that actually happened is that Bedosa turned 24 in the midst of the final madness. And her cake was awesome. Um, she lost on her birthday and Iga, after. Yeah. So it was a bit of a curse. But that's okay. But also she, I believe it was announced that she made it to the semis like around that time as well. So I guess I guess it wasn't all that bad. Um, yeah. So, Paula was on an eight-match winning streak before her loss to Iga on her birthday, <laughs> but she still qualified for the semifinals. And, I mean, at the beginning of the year, Paula had no titles and no top 10 wins, and now she has two titles, one being a 1,000, which is, like, a huge deal, and six top 10 wins. So, she just she just went insane. Like, it's yeah. just, like, I mean, it really reflects, like, what um, Annette did. Like, at the end of the year, just kind of went on a crazy spree. But, I mean, Paula has, she's been doing well all year. So, I guess it's not really the same thing. But either way, I think it's insane. I mean, that's just why I love the finals so much. Like, it's this players that have been doing so well all year. And, like, actively being, like, they're progress is being tracked throughout the year and that's what gets them to qualify for this event and then they just give it their all like their last shot the last event of the year and it's just a crazy culmination of the whole season yeah and also even though Iga she lost her first two round robin matches and ended up with a one two record so she was out of the tournament by the time she played Bedosa um even though she did have some tough losses, she actually said something after her loss to Sabalenka when she left the court crying. She spoke out about PMSing and, you know, how that, like, those emotions got to her. And, I mean, cynics and sexist people may say that that's just her making excuses, but mm, her was so her powerful. Can- her candidness and her honesty and her openness in talking about that subject is so refreshing from this younger generation of WTA players. I want to see more of it because as two teenage girls who oftentimes go to tennis class and are on our periods and moody, are cramping, are bloated, are really just not vibing with it and we just kind of want to get it over with and go home, like it's so understandable and something so unique especially for female athletes who are moving their bodies and exerting their bodies when this is it's like it's it's like a week or more than a week where it's a different state it's just so it was so awesome seeing her speak out about that and i love love to see um her you know she's being really responsible with the way that she's using her platform like the whole mental health donation that she did with her prize money um you know, yeah. with this, I mean, she's just, she's a queen. Yeah. But 
Um, we do want to mention something about Barbara Karchikova because she did end up last place in her group with a 0-3 record, which is, you know, obviously disappointing, but doesn't discredit. She had a really great year. I think she kind of, it kind of faltered towards the end of it. Um, but she did win the doubles final with uh, with uh, uh, Siniakova, and their uh, trophy acceptance speech, specifically Krychikova's, was so moving because on the same day that she won, which is, I think, November 17th, um, was the anniversary of a very important event in Czechoslovakian history, the Velvet Revolution. So she was sort of talking about how grateful she was that, you know, she wouldn't be here if it wasn't for what happened at that time and being liberated from that oppressive regime and that she and Siniakova and Martina Navratilova, who was one of the trophy presenters, they all started tearing up and crying. Um, and, you know, she also gave a nod to Martina for everything she's done for uh, Czech tennis. So that was definitely a very powerful moment. And um, we encourage you all to find that video because it was really, it was it was a really good, you know, I just, ugh, I just love the WTA. I'm very sad this tournament is at an end, but I think it was a stellar tournament. I mean, everything from the integration of, you know, local culture, from the vibes of the tournament, from the fans, the players. <laughs> the um, cough medicine great. courts. Yes, the cough <laughs> medicine colored courts. It was fantastic. So now that we've covered the WTA section, unfortunately that's over. Now we have to cover the ATP finals. So we also have a lot of action going on here and we have not talked about it yet actually on the podcast. So the Nito ATP finals are happening in Turin in Italy, which is totally fun and different and funky. And the field is Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Berrettini, Hercatch, Rude. So that's what I like to see from the finals. Like, all of these names are so familiar just from the year and from, like, the amazing tennis that they've played. So we get to just see them come back and give it their last shot. And Until yeah. they started dropping like flies. <laughs> so we had a couple of injuries come up. One of them, in my opinion, being more heartbreaking than the other. But Matteo Berrettini's retirement, and we're going to talk about, well, this was heartbreaking for several reasons. So he was playing his first ever ATP finals match versus Zverev in the round robin stage, and he lost a tight first set in the first tight break. Um, he actually did have a couple set points in that set, but ended up losing it. And when he was serving in the second game of the second set, and after hitting a forehand, his best shot, um, or one of his best shots after his serve, perhaps, he all of a sudden clutched his arm and started crying in pain, and he pretty much immediately retired. And, you know, it's unclear. You can't always see what's, you know, what went wrong on TV, obviously, because it's, you know, within a player's body, but you could see the pain on his face and also, you know, the physical pain, but also the mental pain of, like, thinking, like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I can't play yeah. anymore. So... He was crying as he left the court. And keep in mind, this is his home tournament, his home crowd. He said the fans were, the environment was unlike anything he's ever played in before. This is his career best season so far and his first time at the ATP finals. So the whirlwind of emotions must, like, I, I, it was heartbreaking to watch. I can only imagine what it was like for him. Um, and then he actually posted something on Instagram a little bit later 
um, addressing this whole thing. Yeah, he said, like, the caption under the post read, I've been thinking, thinking, crying, and finally decided my finals end here. I never thought I'd have to give up the most important tennis event ever held in Italy like this. The truth is that as much as I wanted to play in front of you one more time, I felt and therefore decided that my body is not ready to face the challenges I face. I feel robbed of something I've conquered with years of effort and sweat. It wasn't an easy decision, but I'm convinced it's the best for my me and my career. Thank you for your continued support and the thousands of messages you sent me. You made me emotional. So, Josephina is currently rubbing her nose and eyes right now. I'm convinced that's because she's overcome with emotion. Or because she was trying not to sneeze while reading Mateo's heartbreaking message. So yes, well, it, it was it's it's so sad. I mean, be if you're a ber- member of the Beretta fam or not, like this is just like. It's his home tournament. His he worked so hard to get here. Had an amazing season, and you know it sucks. But it's not surprising to be honest because he withdrew from the Paris Masters because of an injury and a rest up before Turin. So there was some speculation that something's going on, and actually he was seen on the practice court the day after the Zverev match. We believe to sort of like test out and see how he was feeling and if he was match fit enough. But clearly, it seems like the injury was probably still there, so he decided against it. So he very obviously like wanted to so badly continue playing in front of his home crowd, even though it would be kind of hard for him at that point to qualify for the semis or even win the whole thing. But just to like play and not have to pull out would have been so big. Yeah. But luckily, the guy who's replacing him is a fellow Italian, Yannick Sinner. There was a lot of talk about Yannick possibly making the ATP finals throughout the season. This is definitely not the way that anyone would have wanted him to do that, and even himself. But he has been doing his due diligence in um, being the substitute for Matteo, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. But he said, I'm going to play for him this tournament, and I'm going to do my best. So, awesome. I mean... At least it was Yannick Sinner, you know what I mean? At least it, at least it was an Italian, at least it was Sinner, like... I it was basically Berrettini, but, like, the smaller, lighter-haired version of him. Yeah. Yes. Basically. Oh, but also, the thing about... I want to mention about Matteo, because, like, you know, why not talk about him as long as we can? Um, Alia's posts of being in Italy oh. while he was playing the yeah. tournament, they were awesome. And also, she posted something on her story, like a picture of him getting dinner and like, or lunch or whatever. It was, I don't, there was just like, something like. So, <laughs> imagine she said, "We're gonna fix him right up. Don't worry." Yeah. Um. Okay. So. In more ways than one, if you catch my drift. No, that's my drift. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Anyways, this is um. You know, this is appropriate, appropriate, appropriate. Anyways, um. Yeah, so Mateo was not the only one to drop out. Actually, we had Stefano Tsitsipas retiring with an elbow injury. So he lost his first match to Andre Rublev in straight sets. And, I mean, we can also remember that he retired from his match in Paris with the same injury. So, as you can see here, it was continuously bothering him. And he was just not prepared to play such a high-intensity tournament with that injury. But um, Cameron Nori, the second alternate, has replaced his spot. So this is funny, actually, because I was um, 
passing by a TV at the tennis center where we play, and I saw Cameron Norrie, and I was like, oh, is there another tournament going on? And then I saw the Nito ATP finals and the huge lights on the background on the side of the court, and I was like, what? Is this from another year or something? I was like, no, impossible. And I just, I just fully did not know until I saw him that Cameron Norrie is now a part of the ATP finals. And I mean, I guess it's well-deserved. He did have an amazing year as well, but um, either way. Um, yeah. Yeah, so definitely two top players kind of pulling out there. This also brings up the larger conversation that we mentioned a couple episodes ago about there's been debate about whether or not the tennis season is too long because often you see these players kind of end up by the end of the season having a lot of injuries and kind of falling off a bit physically. Maybe that's what happened with Krajcikova, who knows? But that's another separate conversation that, you know, would definitely be interesting to unpack because it is a really long season. They're playing from January through to mid-late November. Um, But let's do a little bit of quick overview of the groups. We do want to focus most of our um, discussion around the semifinals, but the green group and the red group are the two groups. Super freaking lame group names compared to Guadalajara. Yeah. But like honestly what's to be expected? what are these colors? Oh never mind, it's Italy. Okay, I'll shut up. Now. Yeah, I uh, no, but still, but <laughs> still there's no like white, so it like doesn't make sense. Oh my god, did you yeah. see that they changed the French flag? They changed the French flag. Yeah, they made it from royal blue, the stripe to navy blue. I just can't imagine it. It's crazy. That's weird. I know. Um, well, so, yes, lame group names, but it's the ATP, so who's really surprised? In the green group, we have Djokovic, Rublev, Rude, and Nori, um, and Djokovic has already qualified for the semifinals. He had pretty commanding wins over Rude and Rublev, so it seems like he sort of, post-US Open, picks up the groove again. I think Paris was big for him, like, that's huge, uh, confidence-boosting win. You've never (laughs) heard that term before on the podcast, but that's definitely important. High-profile win in tournament, got the revenge against Medvedev, so I think that was, you know, big confidence going into this, and he's hungry for more. And Rublev and Rude are currently playing, well, not currently playing, but they will play tomorrow for the green group runners-up spot, Um, and that'll also grant them a spot in the semis versus the winner of the red group, who is Medvedev. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but Rublev... One over Tsitsipas that we talked about. Casper had a great win versus Nori, one six six three six four. So, honestly, like, these two guys, two of the, I would say, like, nicest and sweetest-seeming guys on the tour, like, it's nice because, you know, Rublev seems to be making a big of a bit of a comeback since, you know, after a kind of mess season. And Rude's kind of been proving to the haters that he's not just a clay quarter and has been showing some really strong hardcore tennis at the end of the season. So, very exciting there. Um, the only other round-robin match, in addition to Rude versus Rublev, that's left is Nori versus Djokovic, but this match doesn't really matter for standings. Yeah. So then our other group, also, it just the name's amazing. Red group, uh, we have Medvedev, Zverev, Sinner, and her catch. So Medvedev and Zverev have already qualified for the semifinals. I mean, let's just talk about Medvedev. He's been playing some absolutely amazing tennis. He has a 3-0 record. 
all three set matches, at least one tie break in each. He went 6-7-6-3-6-4 versus Hubie, 6-3-6-7-7-6 versus Zverev, and 6-0-6-7-7-6-10-8 in that last tie break versus Yannick. And Yannick had two match points. So let's just, can we give it a, a hands up for Yannick? Because, I mean, we just love this kid. And um, Medvedev will face the winner of Rublev versus Rude in the semifinals. So that should be interesting. And then there is, um, yeah, I mean, Medvedev and the ATP semifinal. I mean, what am I saying? The ATP finals. They just, you know, it's like the match made in heaven. It's like, it's, yeah one true love um anyways we also have Zverev looking solid and despite despite his loss to Medvedev he's had his um quote-unquote win versus Mateo and also a routine straight sets win versus Hubie Hercatch so yeah so let's talk about the real star of the group Yannick Sinner, who obviously is no longer in the tournament since two people of his group have qualified for the semifinals, but he did so awesome. He was called out as an alternate, and he delivered as he should, and he got his revenge on Hubie um, during his first match in a straight sets win. That was crazy. Probably some of the best tennis he's played like ever and then that epic match versus Daniil because the thing is like the thing with Sinner is that he's like one of those next gen so he plays really well when he needs to but when it comes to like those top top players you just kind of expect him to fall off easily but he showed up and I mean he had two match points versus Daniil Medvedev that's crazy um and then the other guy in their group um Hubie Hurricatch, he went 0-3, unfortunately, which was sad to see, but, um, I mean, he still had an amazing year. Yeah, exactly. Very, very impressive season. Um, I would say about the Medvedev thing, like, it's very impressive that he's pulling off these three set wins, but it's also, like, scarily close. Like, it's also (laughs) physically taxing, so that's why I don't know whether to be impressed or to be concerned. Maybe if I, like... If I were to, I obviously didn't get to watch the matches that much in depth. So I don't know if it was that the other person was just playing really well or he was also, from what I was hearing, he was getting kind of like in those second sets sometimes like a bit, some poor decision making and stuff with his shots. But we'll see. Hopefully he can get that sorted out. So culminating thoughts, we have a Djokovic versus Zverev semifinal and a Medvedev versus either Rude or Rublev semifinal. Djokovic versus Zverev, we've seen that matchup a lot the past couple of years, always pretty tight. Um, I definitely wholeheartedly give Djokovic the edge in this because of, I, I do think he's he's back with, with some hunger. He wants this. Um, and it I think it goes without saying that it seems that Medvedev has the easier semifinal, but you really never know um, because, again, it's, it's tennis <laughs> and also those three set wins have been eerily close. So in terms of who we think is taking the trophy, this is not like I wanted so badly to say Daniil, but his three set wins really made me scared. So that's why I put down Djokovic with a frowny face because I don't want it to happen. But I just, I just, I I feel like it's going to happen, but I don't want it to, but I feel like it will. 
Yeah, and then my pick is um huge surprise here. I've only chosen him for, like, every tournament of the year that he's been participating in, maybe even for the ones that he didn't play in. I chose Daniil Medvedev, and like Shravya said, yes, his three-set wins, like, those really high-intensity matches are concerning. However, that's what Daniil does. He literally serves the only purpose his only purpose is to stress us out on the court and that's just what he does so I mean I can't really expect anything less or more from him so let's just hope he comes in clutch thank you so much for joining us and that is game set and match for today If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the rest of the season and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the ATP Finals wrap-up. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.